Good day and welcome to Follow Spot. Every week we speak with an alumni of the NYU Tisch Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program. I'm your host, Jean-Paul Yovanov. Before we begin, we want to thank the show's sponsors, 35th Parallel Productions and Musical Theater Radio. Today we are speaking with graduates of Cycle 30, Carrie Kazmarovich Trim and Zane Ridwell. Carrie and Zane, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Carrie, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I um, I grew up in a small town in upstate New York uh, called Chatham. I first got into theater when I was pretty young. My dad did it a lot. And then I went to undergrad at Syracuse for acting shortly after school, found that the audition process, the audition process wasn't really my jam. And so um, I got more into the writing side of things initially as a playwright, have had um, a few things done, a couple off-Broadway, that sort of thing. Also really always loved um, musical theater. I grew up when I was like eight years old, I was listening to, you know, like Assassins, Sweeney Todd, really age-appropriate stuff, and um, always wanted to get into that. So I started writing for a children's musical theater publishing company that creates shows specifically to be performed by kids. And I've written a few shows for them as a book writer, co-lyricist that I've had a few hundred productions at this point in uh, about 10 countries, which has been really cool to know how many kids have gotten to do shows that I've worked on because that was so big for me growing up. And then I really wanted to get into like more adult musical theater stuff, like, you know, exploring sorts of themes and that kind of thing that are in like next to normal, fun home, those sorts of shows, which is when I decided to go to NYU's graduate musical theater writing program and just graduated about two months ago. Great. Zane, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, I'm from a small town of Reedville, South Carolina. Um, I don't, I didn't really have a background in theater. Uh, I've been a pianist for 16 years. Uh, but uh, back in 2013, I guess, uh, when Frozen came out, um, I, uh, I wound up uh, discovering Robert Lopez and uh, Idina Menzel and found Avenue Q and Wicked and I was instantly hooked. Uh, and so pretty shortly afterward, I, I headed off for my undergraduate degree at the University of South Carolina and studied music composition there. Um, and it was a contemporary classical program, which is not really the same thing as theater at all. Uh, but uh, I learned a lot of weird music there uh, and picked up a lot of interesting uh, compositional choices. Um, and so pretty much straight after, uh, I headed up to New York to do this program with Carrie. Um, and I've been writing since then. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about your latest project, The Whisperer. Uh, could you give us a little synopsis of the show and what made you want to write it? Yeah, so The Whisperer's a musical about Melanie, who, who is uh, pulled down the drain of her bathtub into the magical world of the waltzing woods. She meets an autonomous wooden puppet named Lainey, who has recently been orphaned uh, when a ma malevolent cloud of smoke, of thinking smoke called The Whisper, attacked her mother. Together, Melanie and Lainey go on a quest to defeat The Whisper, but as Melanie learns more about the painful events that led to its creation, she realizes that the inhabitants of the Waltzing Woods are trapped in a cycle of trauma that feels all too familiar. And unless they find a new way forward, the pain of their past will also become their future. So yeah, it's, as you can probably already tell, relatively high concept. We're doing a lot with puppetry, uh, um, with projection, that sort of thing. 
And what drew us to this very sort of fantastical story was, you know, we started discussing what we wanted to write for our thesis project at NYU, um, right, probably only like about three months into the pandemic. And, um, and you know, we're, we're both people who um, have dealt with depression in our lives. And it's really interesting being in a pandemic because like I'm both um, introverted, but at the same time, like just being stuck alone with my thoughts can be a scary place to be in. And so we were interested in finding a way of writing something that explored this idea of how isolation can impact a person, especially when they do will deal with depressive tendencies. But then on top of that, because depression is something that um, that you can learn to live with in your life, you know, there are times where there are ups and downs, but it's not something that just goes away, um, depending on where the depression came from. We also wanted to talk about, about grief, about loss of a parent, and marry those two together, how um, depression can be, you know, a lifelong um, dance, battle, balancing act, however you want to refer to it for yourself. But when you couple that with something as extreme as grief, especially if in some way you blame yourself for it, and that self-loathing just sort of multiplies, you know, on itself, that the self-loathing that's already sometimes there within you when you're dealing with depression, just how difficult and um, crippling that can be. And so from that, we decided that we wanted to take it from this angle of sort of like a fairy tale framework, like the beginning when she gets pulled into the bathtub, obviously has, um, you know, echoes of like Alice in Wonderland, Wizard of Oz, that sort of thing. But we wanted to have all of the elements of this fairy tale world have the audience slowly come to realize it's something that sneaks up on them rather than something that's super apparent from the outset that all of the elements of this world are in some way representations of the trauma that Melanie can't bring herself to articulate of the grief that she's not willing to talk about. And so there's a major theme throughout the piece of articulation and how difficult that is for her. And so there's, yeah, a lot of imagery around, around trying to speak, not being able to, um, losing the power of your voice, all of that sort of thing. That again is taken in this very fantastical framework, but eventually leads her to this point where she can bring herself to talk about this grief that's sort of been eating away at her. Well, why don't we take a listen to one of the numbers from The Whisperer. Uh, let's listen to the song, First Words. Could you tell us a little bit about it and where it fits into the show? Yeah, so this is right after Melanie has been pulled into the world of the Waltzing Woods. The first character she meets is this autonomous wooden puppet who at this point doesn't have a nose or mouth yet because we'll come to find out that uh, the puppet's creator um, died before the puppet was able to, before the, um, the creator, the woodworker was able to finish making the puppet. So the woodworker died before she ever gave the puppet a nose or mouth. So Melanie, in trying to find a way to communicate with this puppet to figure out what's going on, um, Melanie comes from a graphic design background and is like, let me see if I can build you a mouth. And so carves Lainey a mouth. And these are her first words when the puppet is finally able to speak for the first time. This is a song, First Words, from the musical The Whisperer 
on follow spot. Say something. Like what? <gasps> Holy shit, I just spoke. Oh shit, I can't say shit. Shit, I said it again. My maker said shit's a bad word, a bad, bad word. Whenever she'd say shit, she'd then say, well shit, I shouldn't have said it. So I thought that if I could ever speak, I would oblige. Oblige? No. Commit. I would commit to never saying sh- Hey, hey, give me something else to say. You can say whatever you want. But I'm fucking it all up. Oh, fuck. I can't say fuck. Fuck is even worse than shit. Shit. I still can't say shit. Although, you know, if I'm gonna say shit or fuck, it's gotta be better to go with shit. That makes sense, doesn't it? Well, I just want to get this right. I'm not taking this lightly. Speaking is such a bonus. Bonus? No, gift. Speaking is such a gift. I don't want you to feel like I'm over-speaking. No, ranting. But I swear I'm not taking for granted such a special gift. For days and days I sat and sat, and that was that. Just watching, never speaking, seeking answers to questions I couldn't ask. My face a mouthless mask, useless wood. You know what I mean? I should have been able to speak like you. No, saved. I could have saved her somehow. Told her to turn around. Made a hundred sounds. Yelled, get down on the ground, maker. Maker. No. Mother. Mother. You are listening to Follow Spot, and we are speaking with Carrie and Zane, the creators of the musical The Whisper. The production has some interesting design concepts. The first one I'd love to talk about are the puppets. Yeah, yeah, no, um, that was something that we were excited about from early on. I've seen a lot of mixed form theater that, you know, mixes live actors with puppets, with shadow puppetry, all of that sort of thing that I really really love like there's a group in LA called Rogue Artists Ensemble that does really cool interesting stuff and um, Manual Cinema in Chicago does this really cool like shadow puppetry stuff that's just gorgeous and you really feel the element of you know you get to watch them create these fantastical um, tableaus in front of you because you're seeing how they're creating um, using just like shadows and cutouts and stuff of these fantastical worlds and you really feel that element of you know being a witness to the magic of a theater and you know for me that was really exciting to explore being able to not just have this beautiful puppetry but witness it like we wouldn't try to hide the puppeteers or any of that sort of thing you would very much be able to see them because for me I think one of the things that can be cathartic about this piece that starts from this place of a character in isolation, you know, the isolation we all just went through with the pandemic and everything is seeing the magic of a the theater, seeing people create 
all these fantastical worlds and backdrops right in front of you, I think can have like a real beauty and catharsis to it that people are really craving right now. And so, yeah, there's a bunch of different types of puppetry in the show. There's going to be one of the main characters who you just heard in the song, First First Words, is this four foot tall puppet that would be operated by two to three puppeteers um, throughout the entire show. And we have some designs for her and some of the other elements of a show done by actually one of the people who was initially one of the artistic directors, one of the founders of Rogue Artists Ensemble, Matthew Hill, a brilliant designer and director that um, I'm lucky to have worked with before and I'm working with on this. And yeah, so we have very cool like puppetry done by multiple puppeteers. For Lainey, we have a lot of shadow puppetry that would represent the character of the whisper, which is this thinking, moving smoke that, you know, that haunts and attacks people throughout the show. And so it was important to us to give that character that is, you know, sort of this ethereal quality that can be difficult to uh, represent in the theater, like a real sense of weight and substance. And so we worked with Matt Hill to figure out how we want, would want to do that through shadow puppetry again, sort of similar to a lot of the cool work that manual cinema does, but also really feel that weight and intensity of a character in the music that Zane was creating for The Whisper. And Zane, what was it like to write songs around these unique design concepts? Well, I, I think that uh, one of the things that was most interesting to me about writing The Whisper was uh, one is the opportunity to musicalize this fantasy world. So you want it to feel unfamiliar, maybe a little bit eerie, uh, where, where you're not exactly sure what's going on, but also it's a, it's a type of dreamscape. Uh, so like in dreams, there, there's skips of logic that don't always make sense. Uh, just missing beats of trains of thought, that sort of thing. And so trying to, to, create a, a soundscape that would capture those aspects gave me the opportunity to juxtapose a lot of uh, unusual ideas side by side, um, chords following one another that you wouldn't expect. Maybe rhythms are destabilizing you so you can't get a full sense of where the pulse is, can't really tap your foot to it. Uh, in, in the other uh, context, maybe that, that would be off-putting or uh, hard to follow, but uh, I think this type of world provided some justification for it. Um, and yeah, uh, in the case of Lainey in particular, um, with first words, uh, it, it starts off just with this rambling train of thought and one thought to another, there's no space in between it. And so I, I had a lot of fun just trying to find ways to, to just cut out spaces for rest uh, or so you couldn't really feel uh, where the pulse was supposed to be. Um, and then uh, retroactively, have it, after having composed this uh, mess of ideas, trying to find ways to smooth it out so you could feel the logic that it made sense to her. Um, and so just trying to find uh, those things uh, for each of the different characters um, and what each of their their rhythms and unique, uh, unusual aspects uh, of of their soundscape is uh that, that was really fun yeah i think this is a good spot to take a listen to another song uh, how about the song home could you tell us a little bit about that one home uh is uh shortly after uh melanie has just had one of her first 
experiences in this new world and she's essentially lost patience with it uh, and tries tries to escape uh, only to realize uh, that she doesn't know how, uh, doesn't know how to get back home. Um, and Lainey essentially asked her, uh, what is a home? And this is Melanie's explanation. From the musical Whisper, this is Home on Follow Spot. She always 
We are speaking with Carrie and Zane, the creators of the musical The Whisper here on Follow Spot. The show has some heavy subject matter as well as some light comedic elements. How did you find that perfect balance between the two of them? Yeah, that, that's one of the reasons why we were excited to explore these themes from a fairy tale background because we wanted the sense of wonder and openness and comedy to it, you know, like a lot of theater that gets into heavier subject matter, if you're not careful, it can do, get to a place where it feels more like an intellectual exercise, whether it's intended to be or not, just because the audience gets to a point or can get to a point where it's like, oh, this is really heavy. It's an important topic. So I want to listen to it, but they stop necessarily emotionally engaging as much. They don't feel as open to it. So it was important to us to have like a lot of wonder, a lot of um, surprises in the supporting characters within this world to, to um, keep the audience engaged. You know, one of the best ways to open an audience up is to make them laugh because, you know, they, they like that sense of joy, they like that sense of surprise and it puts them at ease. And also just in terms of thematically and character exploration with Melanie, she's at a point at the top of the show where she's not willing to directly talk about these topics that are, um, that are you know, causing her pain and anguish either. So to get her to a point where she's ready to articulate it, to articulate what she's going through, there has to be, she has to be brought to that point as well, which is, you know, where the audience and Melanie are aligned. Like they start into this journey from this place of wonder, this place of surprise, and eventually over the course of the show, get to a place where these topics finally come and bubble to the surface, but take a while to get there, both to make Melanie and the audience comfortable with reaching, reaching that place and getting into that heavier material. So yeah, to do that, we have, a lot of interesting, fun supporting characters. Obviously, um, Lainey has just in her sort of unfilteredness and her newness to everything, there's a lot of joy to be found there. We have, you know, along the journey, they meet this cave full of um, rather sassy bats who are not the biggest fans of them and just finding different ways to take maybe things and characters and animals that the audience have one relationship with, but really throw, you know, throw that expectation on its, on its head in this fantastical world was a lot of where we started with how to find the humor and the surprise in this piece. Well, you mentioned animals. So why don't we listen to the song Butterflies? Uh, who wants to set that up for us? Yeah, I can do that. Um, this is after they've on their journey to find a way to defeat the Whisper, they got the advice to try to track down the great queen who has gone into hiding since the Whisper has attacked her queendom. And upon meeting her, they discover that her and Lainey's mother, the woodworker, um, were married before a falling out happened between them. And the queen, a little bit prior to this song, has just found out that the woodworker passed away, that, the woodworker was killed 
by the Whisper, but also discovered Lainey, who is essentially, you know, the closest thing that the woodworker ever had to a child. So the queen feels a tenderness to her, especially understanding that Lainey never really got to know her mom. So this is the queen's attempt to explain what made Lainey's mom such a beautiful person. From the musical The Whisper, this is Butterflies on Follow Spot. toys each one filled with endless little joys like a wooden horse that could prance and really neigh and lights that would glow just like the fae as brilliant as a bright blue sunrise on a field full of butterflies Constant flight, racing time to save me from my plight. With one final gift, she delivered me from death. That gift even now allows me breath. I only stand here before your eyes because she filled me with.
We are speaking with Carrie and Zane, the creators of the musical The Whisper. Where do you envision the musical going from here and what's next for it? Yeah, yeah, we're currently working with 35th Parallel Productions on some opportunities just to discuss next step, next steps. Um, because it is a show that is so reliant on puppetry and stuff, when we really get into a production element right now, we want to keep exploring like and workshopping the songs and the scripts. So probably the next steps will be further workshopping. Like there, there's talks right now with a couple of theaters about potentially doing a presentation of some of the song moments and that sort of thing. And then hopefully in the not too distant future, getting into more of a workshopping phase with the piece. And ultimately I think, you know, we'd obviously love to see it anywhere, but it has a real like off-Broadway feel to it that is exciting to me. Like it has that sense of intimacy to it, that, you know, closeness to the audience in this sort of journey again, because you see all the actors like creating the puppetry in the world in front of you, that sense of closeness and intimacy in the space is something that's really appealing to, to the both of us, I believe. Thank you, Carrie and Zane, for joining us today and telling us a little bit about The Whisper. Thanks for having us. Thank you. That's it for today's episode of Follow Spot. We want to thank our sponsors, Musical Theatre Radio and 35th Parallel Productions, and of course, NYU's Tisch Graduate Musical Theatre Writing Program. I'm Jean-Paul Yovanoff, and please continue to support new creators and their works, because today's new musical might just be tomorrow's Broadway hit.